Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 110 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking back with a number of EV owners to check in on their EV owning experience. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to say we're now halfway through season six of the podcast, 10 episodes in, 10 to go. Still to come this season, we have a couple of episodes looking at the state of local councils and their approach to public charging. We'll look at workplace charging. And of course, the last episode will be a round table episode. Let me know who you want on that show and I'll see whether I can get it arranged. Our main topic of discussion today is around, well, we're checking in. We're at the stage in the EV life cycle that the market is opening to people who can no longer be called early adopters. More and more EVs are being sold every day to the point where the best-selling vehicle of any kind in the UK in September was the Tesla Model 3. But if we go back three to five years, we encounter a completely different situation. The part, the picture was markedly different. At that stage, we had the people who were willing to live through the smaller range cars, the slower charges, the poor infrastructure. In other words, the early adopters. And today, I wanted to bring a couple of early adopters together and chat with them about their experience with electric vehicles and check in with them about where they are in their EV journey and whether they think things have improved or not. Uh, so let's start by introducing the people who are going to be discussing this. First, we have uh, Greg Yashkevich. Uh, you may know him from the Take It EV podcast and Twitter feed, where he displays his contempt for uh, plug-in hybrid drivers and Tesla fanboys alike. But if you went to the fully charged outside this year, you'll remember him as the guy with the straw hat that had the built-in solar panel and the cooling fan. Welcome, Greg. Hello. And secondly, we have Gary Whitaker. Gary's former guest of the podcast, having been a part of episode 14, where he came on and talked about living with his Jaguar I-Pace. He runs the I-Pace Owners channel on YouTube, and he can be heard on the The Digital Lifestyle podcast, where he discusses, amongst other things, electric vehicles. Welcome, both of you gentlemen. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> Glad to have you both on here. Let's just have a, um, a, a sort of a quick sort of uh, opening question on this, which is, Greg, how long have you had an electric car? I had my first electric car uh, on this. I think I've received it on the 7th of January 2016. Uh, it was delayed due to chip shortages or something like that, if you believe it or not. And it was a uh, 30 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. And Gary? So my my first proper um, EV was the, the I-Pace, but I, I have had, had been driving EVs quite a bit before that. I've done a, um, a quite a few EV challenges over the years, um, taking things like Teslas to, to Berlin, and so he's halfway across the country. Um, but the, the I-Pace, which I've now had almost spot on three years, is was my first proper EV I actually owned. Uh, now, you mentioned there about Teslas and, and sort of doing challenges for those. I think we'll loop back and talk about Tesla separately because I know Greg has opinions on those. And it's it, it's a completely different situation when you look at Tesla and how they've improved over the years when you compare that with um, some of the other models that we've got. So I think we'll talk about Tesla um, separately. But um, what were the reservations that you had, uh, Gary, when you first started thinking about getting an I-Pace? Was it just, yeah, that's it, I'm going to go for it? Or was there something in the back of the mind that said, well, you know, I might have to think about this? Um, the, I, I did have, I'm through quite a lot of thought processes. I mean, one of my, my big challenges at the time was I was living in the flat. I didn't mm -hmm. have access to charging at home. Um, I couldn't get access to charging at home. The landlord wasn't up for putting us in a charger in, had no power to our garages. So I wasn't mm -hmm. even able to run a, 
three pin plug in in a plug in that way so that was my i guess my biggest reservation about going fully electric was how was I going to cope? I knew uh, my local um, shopping centre, which was only a few miles down the road, had um, Type 2 charging, um, and it was free as well, so that, that worked quite well for me. And, mm. and that's basically how I survived for a year and a half. I, I'd go down and do my shopping and charge at the same time, um, which was enough to keep me going. But but that was, a, that was a big, big question mark I had, whether I could actually work it in that respect. Yeah. Um, and that's also one of the reasons I'd held on a little bit um, for getting an EV. Um, and I, I'd, I'd really been keen on getting an EV for some time. Um, but the, but I needed a, just that little bit more range in the car to allow for the fact I only need, I would only charge once a, once in a while. <laughs> I, I could do my, all my journeys for a week and then then top it up on a, right. on, a, on my sort of two to three hour shop I used to do. Yeah, so that was that was where I was. Um, and also, I mean, thanks thanks to Osprey, they they put they fairly shortly after I got my car put their their charges in in locally, and I was able to use those as well. Quite a lot for quite a lot of the time on the free vend, which was lovely. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that that was a that was a big thing, um, which made it very workable. Indeed, uh, it was Indeed. a challenge. I was a bit uncertain at the time, but I was I was really pleased I had done it once I'd done it. And Greg, with you, with you, the Leaf, was that a, yep, I'm going to get one, no problem, or did you have any reservations before you uh, took the plunge? I actually was uh, curious about, or EV curious in 2012. Somebody told me at work that BMW is coming up with i3, essentially. I, I, I'm, I could be getting the year wrong, could have, could have been 2013. And I was just about to switch a car when I lived in Belfast, and they had a Volt, uh, Voxel Volt. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, Voxel Ampera. That's the name of it. But the um, they couldn't let me test drive it because it was it was dead. The twelve volt battery died. Yeah. And the uh, and you know that kind of put me off for a bit. I got a diesel car instead, and then I moved back to moved into London, and uh, I've I've test driven Tesla twice when they came out, and I was blown away by it. But the um, there was no way I'm gonna pay. I was gonna pay. The full sticker price, even though I could have afforded it at the time. I, every so often, I had an episode of like, let me look at the car, let me look at the car, a different car, and I was trying to find somebody who could let me test drive the car. Um, yeah. Nobody had them in stock, apart from from uh, Teslas. Obviously, they they they, yeah. they had plenty of them, and Nissan. And Nissan were happy f- for me to have the car for a weekend, and that that just sold me basically. I did live. Uh, we were living in in London in a flat at the time, uh, so I didn't have any. Uh, uh, any charging available to myself but there were plenty of chargers I'll say I wouldn't say plenty there were enough chargers around to get me going and I did commute to London mm-hmm. and the idea was basically that I'll be driving that car to London and uh, parking in Westminster was free for four hours for EVs at the time right. um, and there were enough charging points to get by uh, and I just basically bought it I'm going to come back and talk about how we knew what was there from a charging infrastructure point in a, in a second. But personally, for me, um, as listeners to the podcast will know, I've got the Kia Soul. I've had it for three years. But what I don't know whether I've told a lot of people is the reason I went for the, the Soul, A, apart from um, financial aspects, is I went up to our good friends at the EV Experience Centre in Milton Keynes and I said, I would like to borrow a Soul for three days. And they went, yeah. No problem. 50 quid. There you go. And I was able to come down and check out the local charging. I was able to do the longest trip that I would be doing on a daily basis um, from a commute point of view. And, uh, you know, I did that without any issue. And once I got over those two reservations, 
could I do a daily um, commute in it? And could I find places to charge? And when the answer to both of those was yes, it was a no-brainer. So that was the reason that uh, I ended up with the the soul. And those were the reservations that I had before I uh, started to do it. So looping back around to the question that we talked about a few seconds ago is, Gary, how did you know where the charges were back when you first got your uh, your iPace? Well, I think I was quite lucky because by the time I started, things like that map were getting quite common. Um, mm-hmm. Plug share, plug share, and all, all the the likes. Um, so there was quite a lot of places I could actually research before I even bought the, the car um, to find out what it was. And also, I'd seen the charges. I mean, that was that was probably actually one of the big key things. And Peterborough has been pretty active on on getting uh, charging infrastructure. At least was back then. The council was pretty proactive, and there were charges, type two charges on most streets, um, which were very visible. Um, I, I know Greg's got his own opinion on plug-in hybrids, but I'd reviewed the um, the Outlander uh, a year or so beforehand, and I'd actually been able to use the infrastructure at that point, and I hadn't actually done any research at that point. I'd just driven round and, and seen where the charges were and yeah. plugged in on Type 2s. Um, didn't really have much rapid charging at that point uh, available, and a few of them were this completely different story now, but... Um, but um, I was able to see the installs occurring by just keeping an eye on that map at the time and and i think that i mean I, that was definitely a, a luckier situation than some of the people i know who who, who, start, who like greg got his car a bit earlier it was, it was a bit more challenging to find out where, where charges were at that time so yeah greg how did you know what was there and and were you using zap map or plug share or was it just wandering around and going oh i wonder what that is yeah. I, I, i've i've got asperger's or i've got i you know living with uh with such a fantastic uh issue of your brain is is fantastic because if you get yourself give you if you turn your mind onto something you're full you're fully in so once i test drove the uh, the leaf and we we basically test drove a 24 kilowatt hour leaf um took it with my uh, girlfriend at the time now wife uh to the pub i had to charge it on the way back I did do a, you know, I, I didn't know of existence. Uh, I can't remember when the EV experience center actually started, um, but I didn't know of the, of the, of them. And I, I lived in South East London, so obviously, yeah. it's uh, it's quite far. Uh, I then started once I, uh, I was through the um, the 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 test drive. I started looking for all the rental companies in the area, if they had any EVs that I could actually rent, um, and. Uh, I think it was Hertz actually. They had Leafs in London that you could borrow, uh, so I I rented them for a couple of days at the time and um, and started just going and actually testing the. N- never mind researching it online because you know I knew there's chargers out there, but I actually started driving from charger to charger and just kind of looking at it and playing with them essentially. Um, it's, it's the same approach I I have to anything in life. Um, mm-hmm. I just dive in for a week or two and then you know. That um, that helps me kind of make my decision, and um, and my at the same time my diesel car basically started breaking down all the time because I've only been doing short journeys. So I was I was fully committed. I just decided to yeah. myself, this is it. I'm just I'm just gonna get that Nissan Leaf. Um, and and that was it. I uh, as far as the the charging goes, the garage that I bought it from, they had a rapid charger, so I knew mm-hmm. every self and I'll be able to plug it in there um but like i mentioned the trips to london also helped the fact that i was able to to plug it in in london uh, you know for uh, for a few hours during the day during the week that helped out 
in the end, you know, once you find out that there's charges and once you kind of, once you come to terms of how this whole system works, it was easy. Yeah. Did, did you know at the time that a large proportion of the Nissan uh, dealerships actually had a, a rapid charger at their location? Um, yes. They, so the one that I bought it from, the actual one, because it was a chain, uh, it was in Bromley, and I lived in Penge, which is near Crystal Palace. Um, okay. So the one that I actually brought, bought it from, they, they even told me, look, you can drop down this uh, bullet um, after hours and you can get in and plug yourself in if you're stranded. You know, happy for you to do it. Um, yeah. So, you know, they were very accommodating and very open at that time. Uh, and once again, the fact that they would give you the car for two days and I was actually given it for four days because it was a long weekend, was basically a game changer to me. I, I don't think I would have gotten that particular car at the time if, if it wasn't for that particular option. So we've talked about how we all got our vehicles and why. We've talked about how we worked out what the charging infrastructure is. So to me, the next big uh, stepping stone or hurdle, depending on how you want to look at it, is taking the first journey, which is longer than the range of the vehicle that you're in. So tell me about that, Gary. What was your first long-distance journey? Let's um, go back a bit. I, th- I actually think my first journey was to go to the Jack Rare Black Breakfast Club at Gaydon. I got an invite to that, and uh, that, that was just beyond my range at the time. Because um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I was actually travelling up from down south. I'd, gone, I'd, I'd actually done a journey the day before down to um, my parents, my, my dad's, and uh, was coming up then to to Gaden. So it was about two hundred and forty miles, which was at, at the time the um, the range of my iPads is actually slightly improved now, and I probably would be able to do that. But it was getting about one hundred and eighty at the time. Yeah, um, and that and that was an interesting experience because it was the first time I actually had to wrap a charge on route. Um, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really planned the journey because <laughs> I was all a bit, a bit of a sudden sudden. Uh, oh, I'll get an invite to this. How, how do I get there? Um, the next day, and I just started basically set off and tried to charge at the services, which was at the time was a bit of a disaster because the iPads and the electricity wasn't weren't talking very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I then tried at a, a um, Evolt charger, and that, that failed as well. <laughs> so I can't run because um, again, at the time they weren't talking to the iPaces very well. Um, I finally found an Osprey one, which did work, and and, and that, that got me there. But but yeah, that was a, that was an interesting experience, um, and did slightly put me off to start. But then I then I thought to myself, no, no you're busy, you, you, you can plan this. You've got all the stuff there. It's easy enough to find all this stuff. Yes, if I was a lazier driver, it would be a problem. Mm-hmm. And if I and I do think that's a, that's an issue for drivers, the, the general public when we get start again to the general populace over over us here, the adopters is that people don't want to plan; they just want to be lazy. They just want to go turn up the services and charge, and it should work. Yeah. And, yeah. and for, thankfully, that's starting to happen now. But yeah, back then that was a bit more of a challenge to do it. And mm. but I but I persevered, and then probably six seven weeks later, I did ten ten thousand miles to Berlin. We, we'll. We'll come back and talk about that in a second, because um, that, that intrigues me for a number of different reasons. Uh, but I want to just ask Greg to come in and here and talk about his first long distance trip, please. Um, so the uh, I mentioned that the uh, we, we went to a, a pub in Surrey um, when, uh, when we had the car from the dealership for a few days. Then I, uh, but that, that was, you know, fairly short distance. I think it was like 90 mile round journey um or maybe even less but obviously you know i drove it too hastily and uh, had to charge on the way back one of the rentals that i had 
I think I went to, I've, I've got some friends living in Leicestershire. So I went to visit them. Uh, they live in, you know, Colville um, from London. So that was a, that was a, that was the first trip where I actually, I stopped and, um, and started using the ecotricity cards because I've ordered all the cards in the world. There, there was still yeah. many of them. And, uh, and I would just basically stop at every service station just to see the chargers, um, just to experience it. And I remember it said at the, uh, at the time on the chargers to drive like the wind and which, <laughs> which I did. Um, <laughs> uh, and then once I got my actual car, my first super long uh, distance journey was basically to uh, from again from London to Edinburgh via Glasgow, and then back to London via sort of Lake District ish uh, region. Uh, and that mm-hmm. took me a long weekend with you know a couple of stops. And then once again, because the uh, uh, because of the, the the what it says on the on the charger, and because I was trying to discover the world of EVs, I would drive fifty sixty miles at the time. Like I stole it, and then yeah. just plug in for another half an hour, and just you know keep just got to um got to Edinburgh that way, and, and so on. Now, what's interesting listening to the two of those stories is, you've got you, Greg, who is um you're using the Ecotristy chargers because primarily they were put in there on behalf of Nissan to work with the Leafs primarily, um and you were having very few issues with those, um and then you've got Gary who's sort of the opposite of that he's trying to use the ccs on ecotricity it's not talking because as we know the ccs protocol with um medi charges is not as robust as the chadamo protocol um and so you've got two contrasting situations there with two people effectively trying to do the same thing at more or less the same time um, and having two completely different experiences which uh, I think the only thing you would have had in common on there, correct me if I'm wrong, is that none of the charges would have been in use when you got there because the number of EVs on the road at that time would have been quite small. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, now, my let me see, what was my first trip? Yeah, I got the car on the 12th of December and then on the 19th of December, I went to my parents for Christmas. So that was Hampshire to Yorkshire, 200 and five miles in a vehicle that at that time had about 105 miles as a range. So straight into, I think I was using PlugShare at that point, into PlugShare, what can I get at about 80 miles? What's the next charge at 80 miles? And I ended up stopping at, um, it was a BP Pulse on the M1, just south of Luton, and then another one up by... Oh, where would it have been? Derby. And then I was able to get home on that. But, you know, that was at the time when our good friends at BP Pulse were a little bit more reliable than they are now. And I, like you, had subscribed to a number of the uh, the different services. So I had the cards from ChargePoint and New Motion, and I had the subscription from BP Pulse. So, you know, armed with the apps, armed with the cards, armed with a plan of where to, to go, uh, a, uh, a charger to aim for and a backup charger in case there was a problem. I've got to say it was pretty seamless. None of the none of the chargers were in use. They all worked, and I managed to get there with between about ten and fifteen percent either time. And it really worked particularly well. And ironically, I'm not sure I've had particularly recently as good an experience, mainly due to the fact that. You've now got, um, whilst there are more chargers on the route, there are now more vehicles that are using them. 
So, you know, I now no longer use BP Pulse. So that's taken all of, uh, all of those off the, uh, off the menu for me. So, you know, I'll use Instavolt, I use GridServe, I use Osprey. And when I get there now, I find they're in use. So ironically, the very first journey I did, which was the most nerve wracking because I hadn't done it, was actually the one of the easiest I've ever done. And it hasn't actually been quite as easy um, in the meantime. So a little bit of irony there. Yeah, I, I remember actually when we first met Gary, that uh, we discussed this, that we, we were kind of living in a, in a perfect time for EVs. The, the, yeah. the infrastructure was just about enough and yeah. weren't as many of us as, as there were going to be. Um. <laughs> um, and I think what's, what that brings up now is, is almost the, uh, the point of this discussion that we're having now is, you know, we, we were there in the old um, sunlit uplands there of, uh, of pre-Brexit Britain where we knew what, uh, what the infrastructure was like, we knew where everything was, we knew whether it worked for our particular vehicles or not. There weren't that many vehicles on the road that, that were sort of in competition for the uh, the charges. And, you know, things kind of worked. Now we've had pretty much of a huge sea change in the way uh, EVs are perceived in the, the marketplace, in the charging, the infrastructure. So let me start with Greg and ask you, what's the biggest change you've experienced since starting uh, owning an EV? Um. <sighs> Well, we we always thought that the year 2020 is going to be the year of uh, of EVs, but obviously COVID kind of got in the way. Um, I mm-hmm. I I think the, the 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 writing was on the wall that you know there's going to be more and more of them. Um, mm-hmm. What what gets me worried is the um you know going back to the, the to the experiences on the chargers back back when I had the Leaf. Yes, Chadamon could have might have worked flawlessly, but the uh, uh, every service station that I would get to or virtually everyone every single one of them there would be an outlander park there uh charging uh, at a service station on the motorway which mm-hmm. i still to this end to this day don't understand why would you do that uh, on the motorway with a car that can barely do you know 20 miles um on a charge in in like a town yeah. driving um yeah. anyway <laughs> and, and that, that that kind of stayed with me to this day i think i, th- I think the um the biggest thing, the biggest thing that has changed, I think, is the uh, that, that that people accept EVs now. Uh, whereas when I got my first uh, electric car, there was still the hesitation, and everyone was still thinking, "Oh, yeah, this is just this is just a phase. This is you know, we're going to get hydrogen, we're going to get this and that and the other, and the cars will charge in five seconds, and you know, all the sort of things that are physically impossible." And I, mm-hmm. you know, and I could have told people that, that at the time, but nobody cared about these things uh whereas now people kind of just gave up and or gave in rather and and are like well this actually works so let's just deal with it and live with it gary yes so i think the biggest change since i've um, been driving is is the actual infrastructure Mm -hmm. i think the we're starting to see hubs appearing um, and obviously rugby is not too far away from me which is amazing yeah um the good survey this talk there with so many charges they they you cannot can't actually they stretch as far as the eye can see as they say they um, do yeah but even there um i've had to queue only very shortly but i've had to wait wait for one to come free um yeah so i think that that's that shows the take up um I mean, it's great to see. I've had discussions with Osprey and Instavolt recently, and, and what they're doing with the hubs—that's really going to make a, a big difference. But it's got to come reasonably quickly. But I think also the other thing which is happening, um, and I've I've certainly noticed it, is the the number of cars coming out now with 
much larger ranges than when I was looking originally. When I was looking originally, the iPace was one of the longer range vehicles other than the Tesla. Mm. And, and now there's so many cars out there with longer range. And I think that's going to make a difference. So the more cars we have longer range, the less, people, less reliance we need to have on, on, on route charging. Yes. And yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg, egg there, but I think it's, it's quite important that, that correlation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. I mean, talk, taking uh, Greg's point on, on the, the Outlander, actually, that, that was that was an interesting thing, because right? actually seeing an Outlander charging at an electricity charger is one of the things which actually triggered me to think this actually might be, and there might be some infrastructure there. <laughs> I might actually have somewhere I could charge if I've got an electric car. Um, ah, interesting. So, so, so it can be a it can be a gateway drug. I think the, the, but I, was, I think nowadays that that's far less. Uh, I mean, there's no reason for having Fevs at all now, in my opinion. opinion. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, if you've listened to uh, Greg's podcast where he talks about the uh, the plugins, you'll know his you'll you'll yeah. definitely know his opinions on. That. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, that, when I when I got the iPad, so obviously that that range was was sort of up up there with what was what was really good and now there's 300 mile range cars and that, that makes a huge difference if you can drive 150 miles there and 150 miles back and and actually get home that, that's that's a long that's a long journey on british roads yeah it is it, it totally is and i think from my point of view the the major change that i've seen other than the things that you've mentioned yes the infrastructure has definitely uh, improved yes the range on vehicles has definitely improved but to me it's the fact that the conversation around electric vehicles is improved. And the prime example, I've literally half an hour ago come off a telephone conversation with my mother and she was talking to me about battery supply problems for electric vehicles. My mother went 80 years old this year and she's talking about battery supply problems for electric vehicles. So, you know, three years ago, when I told her I was getting an electric vehicle, she was not particularly interested at all in the subject, but now, you know, when people like my mother are now having conversations with, oh, and, and, you know, where are you going to stop on your charge on the way back? Are you going to do one charge this time or are you going to do two charges this time? What's your new car going to be? What range is that going to have on it? The the number and the sorts of people who are having those conversations are now a lot, lot different and a lot more numerous than they were even 18 months ago. Uh, and I mean, you know, we tend to live in our own little our little echo chamber when it comes to electric vehicles. You know, we tend to follow the same people on social media, etc. But, you know, if I take a step back and, you know, with people like my mother, who I would not expect her to have a conversation like that at all. And yet, you know, she's she's in, been informed about that. So she's actually having that conversation. And then I was on I'm going to I'm going to drop a few names now. I was on set today filming. Um, on a well-known British um, continuing series setting in a hospital. And one of the actors turned around and said, I'm really excited. I'm having an electric vehicle delivered today. I've got rid of my Prius. And I said to him, oh, what are you getting? He said, oh, I've no idea. I just know that it's electric and I'm looking forward to it. So I, I could not have imagined a conversation like that two years ago, three years ago. But now it's becoming a lot more mainstream. Now, obviously, there are issues attached to that, um, and we've already talked about things like um, charges being uh, being blocked. But the other one is I put an order down for a new electric vehicle. Not telling you what it is, but between the time that I ordered it and the time it was accepted, there was a five a, an additional five month delay in the delivery because chips. You know, the chips weren't ready, or the batteries weren't ready. Whatever my mother was talking about, so. 
you know, with the increased understanding and knowledge and experience that people have with electric vehicles, there are the knock-on effects that have uh, become associated with that. I don't know whether any of you've got any uh, comments on that. Well, I was going to say on on the, on the ship shortage side of things. I mean, obviously, the iPace is a prime example of that. You you can't get an iPace for love and money with with all the all the bits you might want to have in it. Um, head up display, surround cameras, all those things. You, you're mm-hmm. you're talking probably a year waiting list to even even get on on the waiting list. Um, wow. So, and you, I mean, you can get get them without those components, and if you're prepared to, and if you're lucky, if you were lucky enough to get in before the, sort of some of the deadlines on the components, you might still have got got them in an order. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of been told twelve nine to twelve months before they'll take start taking orders for those components again. I mean, in some ways, it's, it's really interesting that that's happening because it shows, it shows the demands there for things. But uh, um, it's also frustrating as well. It, it is, and we've circled around this a couple of times in the conversation that we've had so far. But a lot of the issues that we've experienced, a lot of the um, incidents that we've encountered, and a lot of the problems that we've been talking about, don't apply to Tesla. You know, they've always had the far superior charging experience. They've always been able to um, find the batteries, the chips. There are, I know that they're booking into next year, but I've known people quite recently who've put down orders for Model 3s, and it's been yeah six weeks, eight weeks. We're not talking nine months or eight months like it's going to be for, for the car that I've ordered. Why are Tesla able to do this? Why are they so much better? I know Greg has opinions. Oh, oh do I? Oh, do I? Uh, so I, I, th- I think the, um, I don't know what is the equivalent, this is like a very American uh, saying, but I think most OEMs have been caught with their pants down. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound that good when you say trousers down. But basically, I, th- I still think that plenty of OEMs treat the, uh, the, uh, the EVs as a sort of future, uh, future thing. And they're in the middle of the transitioning, hence why we've been, you know, pushed FEVs left, right and centre. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas um, Tesla have been working on EVs from the get-go. So they, you know, they they have everything worked out, the, the supply chains and, and etc. And also, uh, I, I think it's all down to the... You know, everyone's talking that Tesla's like 10 years ahead of everybody, which I just hate that sort of, a, you know... Uh, speak because that that just means nothing it's it's equivalent of, of somebody saying that uh you know you get this the, the software you're getting or something a product you're buying is is a product of the future but if you're buying something now it's not 10 years ahead it's now it's mm-hmm. it's it's obvious what it is um and it's the same thing with tesla because they because they've been developing things differently from a different perspective um they are able to plan everything with uh contingency in mind so when you when you manufacture i I can speak to manufacturing in terms of electronics when you're manufacturing uh, say a board that you know does something whatever a wi-fi or a power supply uh, Mm -hmm. whatever it's going to be when you're designing it you always create like a supplemental list of of components in case one of them goes away there's a supply issue uh, you know or you need to ramp up manufacturing and the uh, supplier of, of certain chip can't manufacture enough for you to to meet the demand, um, mm-hmm. and Tesla have been working that way from the get-go. Is the um, your traditional OEM uh, because ICE cars have been manufactured for God knows how many years now. Um, they they've streamlined everything, and the margins are very low, um, and loads of components are made for everybody. Uh, so you know when you buy 
a Jaguar or when you buy a Ford, there's going to be loads of trinkets in, in those cars. I'm, I'm just pulling them randomly out of my hat. Um, there's going to be loads of blocks that are the same, supplied by Siemens or Bosch or whatnot. Um, yeah. And the, the, the particular OEM actually doesn't work on that. They just take that. They buy it from somebody else. Whereas Tesla still uh, manufactures and supplies loads of things internally. Yeah. So they can, you know, when they when they when there's a chip chip shortage of certain kind, they can uh, pivot and say, okay, well, we need Plan B, Plan C, Plan D for this, and then they can work it out in their software. So they they're they're happy to carry on. Um, and also, like I mentioned before, they I I still think that OEMs do not ramp up the uh, EV manufacturing to the to the level high enough for them to actually care about these things. The, the EVs are still you know, third tier when it comes to the, 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 the level of care. Um, I mean, in case of, of Kia and Hyundai, obviously, uh, we can see that uh, uh, they're, they're ramping up the production and they're switching gears. Same with VW. But most of the other OEMs are still pushing um, FEVs um, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, ICE cars to people. So I think that's the that's, this is where the, there's a discrepancy. Um, and also because Tesla, again, they started with EVs from the get-go. They had to work against all the issues that uh, other manufacturers didn't care about. Charging network, software, user experience. They had to, obviously, you have to, you know, you have to uh, you have to shine in a certain way for people to buy your, your thing. You have, to ha- you have to differentiate yourself somehow um, uh, from everybody else. And that's what they've been yeah. very good at. They're not delivering yeah. on 90% of their promises most of the time on time at least, but mm-hmm. at least they're, you know, they've got this sort of glitter effect um, called Elon Musk. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and he's able to persuade people that this is the, the better thing. Um, yeah. Now, if I can just jump in there, the the one thing I always, let me see if I, how I can phrase this without it coming off uh, incorrectly. If I look at the vast majority of the non-Tesla EVs that have been produced since the Model 3, there's nothing which has um, the range for the same battery size. There are vehicles that have a similar range but a much bigger battery size. There's nothing that has the efficiency and there's nothing that has the user interface that you can get um, on Tesla. Now, given that the motor industry is well known for taking some new innovation that one company uses and spreading it across any other, uh, any number of other vehicles from different manufacturers, why are legacy manufacturers not being able to produce a vehicle which has the same type of range as a Tesla with the same efficiency and a user interface that's anywhere near as uh, as good. Um, I, I think I think this this, in my opinion, the, the reason is um, like I mentioned, the fact that loads of the components in most of ICE cars produced these days are bought from third parties and slightly adjusted or, or you know or modified to um, customized to the OEM's need. But you know, there's a reason why all of a sudden all cars on the market, for instance, have lane departure warning systems. Mm-hmm. It's because Bosch came out with it, basically, and and yeah. the uh, or Simmons or whatever, and you can just buy it and, and stick it in the car for uh, you know um, 
because all it is at the end of the day, it, it's yeah. I mean, yeah, I could, I could go to technical details, not as good as somebody who I know who works for OEM uh, who can speak to it. But you know, um, but it, it's quite simple to integrate it. Whereas the again, Tesla had to do all these things from scratch. I mean, they they do use loads of third party components in their cars as well. Don't get me wrong, they don't do everything uh, on their own. Um, mm-hmm. and where, where it comes to efficiency, I think again, Tesla have to optimize their cars for for the range because that's one of the things that people always ask about whereas yeah. if if your primary uh, product isn't an ev um you know people they know other 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 OEMs know that people will buy the cars anyway i mean you know i had a i had a nissan leaf it's probably one of the worst cars when it comes to efficiency um and people were buying them left right and center anyway uh today we have mg ZS EV and mg5 and I, I know people will hate me for this, but they're not the most efficient cars either. Um, yet people are buying them because the price is very competitive. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. It doesn't the, the efficiency doesn't matter as much at the moment as, as it should. Um, and and on the on the flip side, there are car, there are car manufacturers like Hyundai Group and uh, and they're the second one after uh, Tesla's when it comes to efficiency, for instance. So, you know. They obviously yeah. do care about that. Yeah. Gary, any thoughts? I was going to say, on the Hyundai Kia side, perhaps less so on the Ionic 5 and the EV6, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I, mean, I think there's a, there is actually a, a thing here about um, expected expected design um, from, from some like I mean, I'm, I always remember with uh, Jaguar when they talk, when, we, when I was taking, talking to them about the iPace, about why it still had a grill. And they said, basically, we won't sell it unless it has a grill. Oh. Our, de- our dealers won't take it. It, they, they all think it's some strange vehicle and they won't take it in. <laughs> um, and, 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 and that was basically the bottom line. That the, the, uh, there's a perceived look to a certain type of type of manufacturer's car. And, and that actually then leads to inefficiencies in, in design. Um, I don't know, Ian Callum, uh, the designer of the iPace, that was his one thing he had to do miss on uh, miss on that was the fact that he hadn't, hadn't changed the front a bit more made it a bit more uh, I mean, they did, did do some clever stuff with the i-pace with the the, 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 the way the airflow works and everything through the grill but but it's still it's still got a front grill um and mm-hmm. and it's interesting if you look at i mean we're talking the mg zsev that obviously they've come up with that redesign which no longer has a front grill has a smoothed off area to make the airflow better and mm-hmm. the number of complaints in, in the mg group about that people just hating the design <laughs> so you can't win you can't win as a legacy car manufacturer I don't think you can win on design whereas obviously Tesla haven't got that Tesla have got a design which is very much their design yeah. and and from and then yes day one they actually had something which looked like a grill and they soon moved away from it but but um, but if you look at a Tesla you know it's a Tesla because it's, it's got that sort of that shape to it and that shape yeah. is very efficient Yeah. Uh, but most legacy car manufacturers struggle to produce a car of that shape and actually sell it to their particular audience yeah, no, that's a very good point. I think the closest anybody's really come to that from a legacy point of view is um, the Mackie, potentially. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I as I called it, one of the iPlace clones, along with EV6. <laughs> yes, uh, no, I I saw that as well. I thought, yeah, there's a there's a lot of the iPlace in uh, in both those designs, isn't there? Yeah, well, it's the the EV6 particularly, if you look a side side on an EV6 and side onto an iPlace, it's very difficult to tell them apart. Mm. It really is. Um, it is, and, yeah. and that's not a bad thing. I think the design is brilliant. I think always, always thought that that shape of a vehicle is, is exactly what you you want for a practical uh, EV. I think that mm-hmm. 
if you're going to have a, a proper hatchback design EV, that's probably, and something which looks good. Um, I mean, we can argue on Model Y, whether, I know some people love the shape of somebody that hates the shape of it, but it is a, a bit bulbous compared to some of the other cars. Yeah, um, it definitely is, yeah. Um, so someone, someone, one of my one of my younger relatives described it as a beetle which had been blown up with, with a air pump, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I, didn't, I think it was a bit cruel, but uh, yeah, no, but I can definitely see that, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's definitely following that design methodology of of, of 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 substance over style, and I think that's actually quite a critical thing. I think Tesla's one of the few brands which can actually get away with that. Because they've yes. got the Tesla brand, they, they can they can they can say we are going to do it this way because it's going to give it better efficiency and blow the fact it's actually going to change and make it force us down a certain styling. Yeah. Um, right. Look, we're we're <clears throat> excuse me, rapidly approaching the end of our time, so I want to sort of wrap up here with a, an overall question, which is, you know, the three of us here are what could probably be considered reasonably early adopters, but we're getting to that stage now where the people who are starting to buy electric vehicles at the moment can no longer be thought of as early adopters. There, It's now coming more and more into the mainstream. It's not quite there yet, but it's, it's, it's getting there. So knowing the rate of change of things in the EV world, are you comfortable with the 2030 date to end the sale of new fossil fuel vehicles in the UK? Let's start with you, Gary. I'd actually like to see it earlier, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Um... I think, I mean, it, the problem is, I think you, you, you're right, actually, the rate of change is not hard, fast enough, certainly not on, on the infrastructure side of them yet. Um, we, we, we need a lot more destination charges, for example, and some of the mm-hmm. councils have been very remiss on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think particularly, and the, and the one thing which really worries me is, is not actually so much the installation of charges, it's the maintenance of them. Yes. Um, there's no no incentive to maintain charges, and that really, I think, has to be there before we can actually seriously get rid of or um, and and get the general populace are happy to go to, to use cars because i think um, one of the things we haven't really discussed is old destination charging and i think that is such a critical thing to the to, to this discussion once you once you have, once you have, know wherever you arrive you're going to be able to charge yeah even if it's slowly that the, the, the whole ev equation changes and shifts um and it becomes a lot, lot more to, to tolerable to the general public because they don't have to charge under it they don't have to find 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 a, a charger which is working mm-hmm. on it they can just turn up and charge. So I think that's that's quite critical. But no, I I, I think 2030 is probably ambitious at the moment with the way we're going. But having talked to quite a few people in the industry, I've interviewed Australia say, and, and it's developed recently. Both of them are really making huge strides to try and push things out there. So so I think things things are improving rapidly. And sometimes you reach a tipping point. I think we, we've talked about tipping points before on, on actual sales of EVs, but I think we're actually reaching a tipping point now on infrastructure in that some of the big players in infrastructure, non-EV names, are starting to say, Hmm, we can get into this market, and we can start producing charging hubs. And and there's there's quite a few coming out from non EV companies, construction companies basically, who are going to start putting hubs out there, um, working with some of their other players. And I think that's going to be interesting to see over the next next six to twelve months how that work plays out. Yeah, I was interested to see the uh, is it MFG Motor Fuel Group who are starting to put um, four or more charging po- um rapid charge high powered chargers in a lot of their locations yep. uh, which are you know for all intents and purposes petrol forecourts but i was up in putney a couple of weeks ago the one that they've opened up there very very impressive a completely separate area that's almost as big as the forecourt that's been set aside for 
uh, electric vehicle charging. And, uh, you know, it's definitely the way forward. And, and of course, they've also got their one in Manchester Stratford, which is actually a, a an EV only forecourt. Um, yeah, it used to be um, a car wash, didn't it? Yeah, it used to be car wash, converted to forecourt. Um, used yeah. very much by the locals as a shop, so they get the money that way, and, and a very, very nice setup on, on, on charging. And, that's, and I think I can see a lot of that starting to happen over the next next year or so. There's, there's a lot of money going into EV charges at the moment. Uh, but I think it's got to come a lot. It's got to come quicker. And as I say the maintenance is a bit which really bothers me. <laughs> a lot of people can get a lot of money up front, front to actually install stuff, but uh, they don't always want to maintain it. Yes, um, and we do have a number of examples of uh, charge point operators who've um, failed with their uh, their maintenance in the past, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to talk about those now. Greg, do you have any thoughts on reaching twenty thirty and whether we're going to be able to do oh, it? Boy, do I! Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> um, I'm I'm known for opinions, don't I? Um, but the I think the so the, this this couple of things I think in Europe and you know technically we're still in Europe. Uh, uh, the um, the, there's an, there's going to be a number of legislations uh, legislations coming uh, in in next couple of years that I think is going to make life of ice owners a bit more difficult, um, especially if you buy a new car. And I and as, as far as I know, I know two people who work for OEMs, um, and you know, and from what I was told, they none of them actually work internally on ice cars anymore they're all kind of just you know they're all looking into evs um a battery powered evs um Mm -hmm. at the moment so i think i think the the 2030 by 2030 there's probably going to be still people who will be willing to buy uh uh, ice cars but i think those are those are the sort of people you know on the fringes of the uh, uh the the customer group that you know um whereas everybody else i think is going to be far into uh, uh, well into the um uh, into evs and um and you know things are things are moving along quite nicely i th- i think i i do wonder sometimes you know because the the infrastructure is way better now than it was when i got my first ev and uh and the number of cars the, if you if you think about the multiplier of of number of charges that have been installed in the uk and apply the same multiplier to the number of cars on the road. I think there's way more charges than uh, than cars. Although the growth in terms of the the infrastructure has surpassed the uh, the growth of the uh, the number of cars on the roads. Um, and I do wonder how many of those. You know, how do I, how how do I phrase it? But I think there's still because EVs are becoming a bit more mainstream. But there's still a lot of curiosity behind it. And I think loads of people still have anxiety when they get the car. And they want to charge as much as, as as they can, so I think we're seeing the sort of the 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 second wave of adopters uh, of EVs now um, buying those cars and occupying the the charging points more and more because they they're worried that they're not going to be able to charge wherever they get. Mm-hmm. To, and and that speaks to the to the fact that there isn't enough destination charges, and I think there should be. You know, there there isn't money in, in destination charges, and that's the problem. The, 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 it is something that uh, councils and and local municipalities and whatnot should really install, and and uh, and it should it should be a requirement to put at least ten percent of charging sp- uh, sorry uh, parking spaces to be equipped with a with a even even three point three kilowatts or seven kilowatt uh, charging point. Um, Whenever you build a new car park or, or refurbish the existing one, uh, I think that should be just a requirement nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, 
yeah, there's, there's, I don't know how much more you do you want me to to elaborate on this, but the, I, I think, I, I think things are looking up basically. Um, you know, the EVs are suddenly a bit more mainstream. I, I used to be stopped, and you know, I used to be like uh, talked to uh, uh, charging points by random strangers, wondering what, what, what on earth is this big thing. Um, and wishing me luck, you know, good luck whenever I said that this is purely electric and I don't have any backup. And in a, in a non, non, non sort of sincere way, like, oh, good luck with that. Like, you know, sort of, oh, it's going to fail. Um, or you're crazy, basically. Uh, speaking speaking about the the chargers, the, uh, uh, the DC fast chargers, they're not, it's not an easy uh, piece of equipment to manufacture and, and maintain. And I think the manufacturers are also uh, are here to, to be blamed and obviously the there's a network that shall remain nameless that uh, they've decided to make their own charges and they kind of failed at it um mm-hmm. and uh and that just goes to show you that it's not an easy thing to, to do to to come up with your own charger and and make it so that it doesn't need a lot of maintenance and will work uh for a very long time um what I, what I do like is the the fact that we do get more hubs and I think we should see more and more chargers that are not exposed to all the elements so they basically they've they've got some sort of a canopy and uh, and uh, shielding away from the elements that I think will increase their longevity because it's not the use that kills them it's the fact that they're exposed to everything basically out there oh yeah that's certainly not going to help is it no. at all no. um, so yeah I think uh, if we have uh, a, a, a commensurate increase in infrastructure to match the increase in the number of electric vehicles that are on the road and match that with uh, a good range of electric vehicles. And by range, I mean, uh, they don't all need to be SUVs. We do need some smaller ones. We do need some more estates, for example. We do need ones that can tow. We do need the, you know, the seven-seater minivan type ones. And then if we link that in with uh, cheaper prices, for electric vehicles and a little bit better dealer education. I think we'll get there by 2030. Gary, do you have any final words on this? I just wanted to hop back to what you said about the older generation, actually, because mm-hmm. one of my relatives made a very telling remark, I think, the other day. Um, and I know this is another one, one of uh, Greg's favourite subjects, hydrogen vehicles. Um, the my, my, my uncle, who's quite elderly um said to me the other day what's this about hydrogen vehicles i don't they remember the hindenburg <laughs> oddly enough that's what i said to people as well so <laughs> but he was, he was all serious he, he couldn't could not understand why why such a volatile subject thing would be even considered for a fuel <laughs> and uh, but he, but interesting again he, he he'd been seeing and i think this is one of the key things with the, this infrastructure increase we're seeing he'd seen a lot of new infrastructure around him um and and he actually said to me i think i think this, this battery electric vehicle idea might be might be viable for me now there's there's at least five chargers around here mm. Yeah, and I think that's a big problem that a lot of people have had, which is, you know, I say to them, do you know how many electric vehicle chargers there are in the UK? They go, no. I said, there's thousands and thousands. Well, where are they all? Because you drive past a Shell station or BP station or a, a Texaco, and you can see, because it's got the big logos up there and it's flashing yeah. neon and that, but you don't necessarily see the same thing for uh car chargers instavolt tend to be a, an exception they've got that nice um 
glowing strip across the top. But a lot of the other ones, they're hidden around behind a, uh, a pub in a car park somewhere. And I think if, if we can increase the visibility of the actual charging stations, it will give people a lot more uh, security in the fact that the infrastructure is there. Yeah, and I think that's happened. It's starting to happen. I really yeah. do think that's starting to happen. Yeah, I, well, the, isn't it today that uh, Grant Sharps, has, um, what's his name, isn't it? The, uh, he's announced yeah. the new uh, um, destination charges, uh, the, the design of them. Um, we'll see how, you know, so there's a push from the government now to, to, to kind of make them a landmark in the UK, which is, a mm-hmm. you know, for all their flaws, actually a very good thing. Um, should have been done, been done earlier, if you ask me, but, you know. Um, and it, it reminds me of the story of, because like, I, I get that question all the time, where are the charges? And when you show the people the map, they, they, they can't believe that there's one, you know, within their area. And yeah. w- whenever we go anywhere, we went on holidays to, to Devon the other day, and and uh, the the chap uh, owning the place said to us that we can't charge, but he he said, oh, but this is a hybrid, isn't it? And I said, when I said to him that it's fully electric, and we're going to be here for a week, and we're going to be traveling all the way around, you know, Devon and Cornwall, he was like, but w- where are the charges? I was like, there's one down the road from here, and you know, he doesn't know about it because it's in the back of the school, basically. Mm. Um, so you know, it's not like I say, it's not signposted post- as well, uh, either. So you you kind of have to, you kind of have to resort to apps like ZapMap or or PlugShare to actually find it out. Yeah, definitely. Any closing comments from either of you? I'll take that as a no. Uh, I could I could say, I, I could say if if you if if you're unsure about electric cars, don't buy a hi- hybrid. Don't let a salesman tell you that a hybrid is better because there's not enough charging out there. Just you know. Just get a fully electric car. As, as, as someone who had a quote self-charging hybrid, I can tell you they don't self-charge. <laughs> no, there isn't. Some, there isn't a such thing as uh, perpetual mobile because uh, that would break the laws of, laws of physics. So. There you go. There's no such thing as a self-charging hybrid. Thank you to both Greg and Gary for their time. They're both on social media and have podcasts, so check them out. Links in the show notes. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. With the end of life, or just plain closure, of many coal mines, there's a huge potential for repurposing some of these facilities in the renewable space. Such a project is in place in Australia. Muslebrook, or Muswellbrook, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is a quiet town of about 12,000 people in the upper Hunter region of New South Wales. It's dominated by two coal mines which are slated to close starting next year. But instead of putting 500 people out of a job, the town has been revived with the creation of a renewable energy project. A disused coal void will provide Bells Mountain, which is a local hydro project based at nearby Lake Little, with a 250 megawatt pumped hydro facility with eight hours of energy storage. Energy Estate and Idemetsu will develop a 150 megawatt to 200 megawatt solar PV and associated battery project, as well as a green hydrogen production facility. And all of these projects will bring new life to the town, as well as provide employment for a lot of the miners who would otherwise be out of a job taking fossil fuel assets and using them in the renewable space. Great work. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto.
And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at musingsev. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for anything on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. It takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Got an Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you so much. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingTV with the words checking in, hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he's always talking about the rapture, the end of times when we're all judged and sent one way or the other. I'm hoping it at least stays away until I've had a chance to complete my work in progress, which is calculating the last three digits of pi. Simon's a bit more keen than that, though. I'd actually like to see it earlier, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.